Well, hello and welcome to The Age Stage, a program that uh, we've designed to look at issues and matters affecting older Australians, made possible by our friends at Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Good morning, everyone. Brendan Telfer here in the Bendigo Bank, so I hope we find you well this Thursday morning. Busy program with a couple of special guests this week. We speak with the author, Peter Antonenko, about his just-published book, Nobody's Soldier, an extraordinary account of the life of his Ukrainian father, a father who survives the purges of the Stalinist era and then also survives the ravages of World War II until eventually he finds his way here to Australia. Peter Antonenko, a very special guest on the program this week. Peter, of course, um, an older writer as well, and interested in getting his definition of what we should be doing as we uh, enter our retirement years, quote, unquote. Peter Antonenko, our special guest this week on the program. And in just a moment, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia has dropped by the Bendigo Bank Studio as well. We'll be speaking to Warren. This is The Age Stage on RPPFM. RPPFM across the Mornington Peninsula. Thursday morning it is the age stage you're tuned up to and it's always great to have your company on your local radio station coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio. Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia has joined us once again. Warren, welcome. G'day, Brendan. Um, good to see you back in the studio. Now, we had a major footy grand final a week or so <laughs> ago and it was very interesting that during all that, uh, the uh, Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, announced that uh, he would not be raising the pension age as part of the first retirement income review in 30 years. Yeah. And I just wonder whether there might be a little... There appears to be a little bit of politics around this as well, and there are a couple of positions. But the old pension age has been a bit of a thorny one, and obviously there's still some sensitivity about it. Well, I've got to say on a personal level, Brendan, I feel pretty sensitive about it because uh, I'm I'm actually uh, still within the age range that may be affected by some of these decisions. Well, you're not only (laughs) – don't speak for yourself. I mean, well, I'm definitely in that uh, particular area. It doesn't doesn't fill my my heart with joy, the thought of uh, continuing to have to work. I mean, you know – there's lots of people that choose to work, and I think that's very important and, and, and if, valuable. And, and if you talk to some of the experts, it's that, that choice and that option and giving people the ability to stay productive and engaged longer, mm. which a lot of the experts are saying is probably a good thing in terms of the you know, dementias, the Alzheimer's, and the, yes. the vigour of your life. Yes. Um, but nevertheless, it seems that there is some sensitivity, and it seems to be a little bit political as well. There seem to be a couple of groups that are favouring one or the other. Um, pension age at the moment has gone up marginally from a mm. few years ago. Mm. Um, I personally want to work as long as I can. Uh, it was interesting the other day, though, I, I ran into a bloke who said uh, he had just retired, and he said, uh, when, when are you going to retire? And I thought... Gee, you know, at the moment, my, my decision is I want to stay engaged as long as I possibly can. Um, what, what do you think, Mr. Frydenberg? Yeah, look, look, just to just to talk a little bit broadly, more broadly about it, I think I think what you're honing in on, though, Brandon, is not so much. So the government's interpretation of this is paid full-time employment, yeah. whereas in fact the research that you're referring to in terms of the benefits that people get out of it is about. Um, purposeful activity. It's not necessarily paid activity, so there's lots of people that get um, enormous amounts of uh, benefit in their uh, older years 
um, from doing volunteer work. And in fact, that very much used to be something that was a very important sort of backbone in lots of aspects of how our community functioned. And it's something that's falling away increasingly because because of these sorts of initiatives and be because of the, the pressure on people to continue to work full-time well into those that, the period of their life where previously they might have been looking at going back to part-time. I mean, it's, it's not that long ago, Brendan, that uh, uh, you know we were talking about how we were all going to be retiring at 55, and in fact, uh, I, I clearly recall um, within uh, some of, some of uh, my parents' uh, generation there was a lot of uh, a lot of innovation at that time around encouraging people to retire early, and people were retiring at 55 and 57 and and 60, and uh, you know that that was what was going to be the next big thing. Now, obviously, that hasn't come to pass, but but what it does is is it takes, in terms of the broader community, it takes an enormous amount of resource out of that community. Um, and it really can't be readily replaced. And that's what seems to be the most important factor in terms of your well-being as an older person. It doesn't have to be paid employment. So there's a bit of, bit of a you know a bit of a government agenda, I guess, around that. Indeed, but certainly you know the first major review of retirement income as well um, in the last uh, since the early 90s as well. So there's a lot on as far as the government is concerned in terms of how they do get us gamefully. Um, involved in our society and community and also income streams and how they're going to preserve things. Well, the old family home is yes. back on, uh, back in the sites as well. Uh, obviously in the next 12 months it's going to, there's going to be some very interesting discussions I would say. We're probably preempting some of those discussions here this morning. Uh, yeah, but I think there's been some, um, you know, awareness of these trends and there's already been some discussion. I think this is just kind of sharpening the focus. But definitely, uh, again, you know, when you're talking about, about family homes and about um, retirement income and assets, uh, more and more the, the aged care system, and in particular um, residential aged care, relies on people having those assets there to make that whole system work. Um, so, and, and even in terms of home care packages, the, the government is very much looking at uh, re reducing the amount of subsidy that's available to you effectively uh, based on whether you receive a full pension or a part pension or you're a, a self-funded retiree. So there's already a, a number of um, quite significant costs that are eroding those sort of lifetime of savings that our older generation has. And, and in terms of uh, wealth transfer to the next generation, it's going to greatly diminish that and uh, that that process. And so again, there's all kinds of implications in that around um, wealth accumulation for the millennials that are coming through. And uh, you know, looking looking further ahead, it's quite a complex quite a complex area. I think it's something that they'll. It's a bit of they can't really governments, whichever party we're talking about, can't really sort of have their cake and eat it too in this in this sort of scenario. They can't be. Um, saying, well, you know, we're going to make people work longer, and we're going to um, constrain their their uh, ability to to acquire wealth. We're going to look at capping or not increasing the uh, superannuation guarantee. But then, on the other hand, when they retire, if they want to maintain the lifestyle that they're accustomed to and have as much choice as possible within the aged care system, 
they have to have all these assets and they have to, ideally, they have to have a, a house that they can draw down on to uh, fund, fund the, uh, you know, these, these huge sort of deposits that are required in the aged care system. Yes, it's interesting as well. As part of this um, little revelation during that grand final weekend, the Treasurer said the family home would not be part of the asset test for the pension. So he's making a couple of bold statements up early, just probably fleshing out the groundwork, I would say, mm. for what's going to be a deep and meaningful over the next 12 months or mm. so. Mm. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, now, Warren, last time you were here and we were having a bit of a natter, you were enjoying a TV series on the <laughs> ABC, um, basically the integration of intergenerational um, things. This is the ABC shoving some four-year-olds into an aged care facility and yeah. uh, the dynamic yeah. in the relationship between the two. Now you've been also spotting, I think, um, some other evolutions of those ideas with a, with a slightly older but younger group of people as well. Yeah, this is happening so, up in New South Wales. Yeah, so young adults. So, yeah. so there's, a, there's a, uh, an aged care home that's, that's uh, been providing um, accommodation uh, rent-free, and I have a feeling it actually includes meals and a few other, th you know, a few other yeah. things as well, um, on, the, uh, on the condition that the person living there uh, donates or contributes uh, 30 hours a month of time interacting with the residents in it's the nursing home. It's a genius idea. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I think they've targeted um, students that are, so young adults right. that are students at university, Studying because obviously uh, they're often <laughs> looking for looking for accommodation and uh, looking to save whatever money they can, and so it sort of meets their needs. But they've also often got um, you know career choices that they're looking at that that tie in quite well and, and mean that they have perhaps the skills and a bit more insight into or or in fact that their experience there will contribute to their their overall study and development um, in their career. So no, it's a, it's actually a, quite an innovative model. Um, again, though, you know, drawing on my experience with our focus, with aftercare's focus mm. on, on um, people living in the community, I think this is one of the th one of the benefits that people can have by remaining in the community too. I mean, I just um, not that long ago, I was around visiting one of our clients and. Um, there was a rather rather lovely um, sort of scene when I arrived at the house. She was out the front at the letterbox, uh, leaning over the gate, having a, an in-depth conversation with a, uh, a, a five-year-old girl um, who's one of their neighbours, and and also having a chat with uh, that that young young girl's um, dad, who's a, you know she told me afterwards, oh yes, you know he's a he's an ambu local ambulance officer, and he lives just a couple of doors down, and you know I, I sort of usually see him. I think she tended to time her going out to check the mail um, with when they were most likely to be going past, so that she could maintain that relationship and. Oh, they were having a lovely old chat, and uh, this young young girl was telling her all about what she'd done at kindergarten that day. And uh, you know, I think I think they're the sort of opportunities that just sort of can naturally arise if you're able to stay uh, living in living in your home and living in the community where you're known. Yeah, the spontaneity of that sort of life. And just a reminder that we're speaking to Warren Haynes here from Aftercare Australasia. So you have a little bit of a vested interest. We must point out the fact that uh, you do very generously contribute to the program, Warren. But, yeah, certainly that dynamic, I think, is very, very exciting in terms of the packages you offer, giving the people the ability to stay within their own environment, within their own community, without mm. being sort of dragged out of it, yeah. shoved into a facility yeah. which might not necessarily be... Um, 
Well, it's a, it's about maintaining those relationships that yeah. that um, really contribute a lot to your quality of life. So again, I think I've mentioned this lady before, but we had another lady um, who who did end up, you know, getting to a point where she did need to move into residential aged care. That was the right uh, right yeah. thing for her at that time. But for quite a few years, even though um, you know she was having some some memory issues and having a you know she needed a bit of quite a bit of support to sort of keep things rolling along smoothly at home, but as is often the case with people with um, who have such sort of those initial um, memory issues um, and perhaps early stage dementia. Um, the longer-term memories still function quite adequately for a very, very long period of time. In fact, they often are what's retained for a long period. Mm. So she was still able to quite successfully um, catch a taxi uh, down to a local cafe where she'd been enjoying a sort of a brunch for you know, four or five days a week for, for many, many years and continued that. She had a great relation, supportive relationship with the people that ran the cafe and then she'd... Uh, you know, find her way round to the RSL or down to the local hotel, where again she was good friends with the owner because she lived in the lived in the community for the last thirty or forty years and mm. got to know them, and and so she was able to stick, keep following this sort of pattern of uh, living that she found very rewarding and and was full of uh, full of friends and full of uh, companionship for look it was probably two or three years. Um, past the point where, uh, you know, in days gone by, everyone would have been saying, oh, no, no, off to the nursing home yeah, with yeah. you. So, you know, I think it's a good example of where where you can get the right support. So she had, you know, a level four package, so it was quite a significant amount of support. Mm. It ended up being, you know, two to three hours of support most days. Mm. Um, but with that... Um, you know that that was enough to make sure that she was taking her medication and, and staying on top of her meals a little bit, and um, and that she she did uh, you know was ready to go out and and that her you know her clothes were tidy and, and suitable for the day, um, and also making sure that she got home safely uh, you know at the end of the day. So it uh, it really worked very well for quite a long time. As I said, well beyond when you would perhaps assume that it might. So. Your time was up. Mm. Um, now, the other thing as well, Warren, just uh, before we wrap it all up today, is um, bushfire season coming up, and we had those rather harrowing scenes the other day of that nursing home being threatened by fire and mm. the Queensland intervention up there. Mm. Um, obviously, we've got to be a little wary, a little concerned. Yeah, or... look, I think it's it's just a timely reminder. I mean, uh, you know, whether you, whether you believe in, in, in global warming or not is sort of neither here or there. The, 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 real, the facts on the ground are that we're getting uh, much drier, much hotter um, spring and summer, uh, lower rain over winter. I mean, we've been very lucky on the peninsula that we've had we very have, good rains yeah, lately. Yeah. Um, but in fact, if you talk to the fireys, they'll they'll say to you, well, you know, that's great, but the downside of that is it means, and I'm sure you can see it everywhere you look now, that the growth is just exploding well, in we, our gardens. We were doing an interview just the other day, actually, and it looks like the CFA have ordered in seven extra machines this year, mm-hmm. helicopters, that have the capacity to fly mm-hmm. at night as well for oh, this wow this season. Mm, mm. Not commonly known, but we were doing an interview the other day. So yeah, I think mm. uh, this summer could pack a little bit of a punch. Yeah. So I think I think what it what it serves that what we've seen, you know, up north with our, our neighbours up north and what they've been going through, it's just a timely reminder for us 
to, um, you know, now's the time. Now's the time. Don't don't wait until you're sort of getting into summer because um, in terms of garden cleanups, there's often, the, you know, that's when the demand peaks and you often will be disappointed if you sort of leave those requests um, till sort of late November, December, because everyone's trying to get ready for Christmas. And now's the time for people to be um, talking to their, their gardener or talking to, um, you know, whoever supports them in that area about making sure the gutters are all fully cleaned out, making sure the, the weeds and the, any growth at ground level is under control, clearing things away, picking up all the rubbish and litter and leaves and twigs and branches that have fallen off in the storms over winter and just really, really tidying up their place so that it's in the best possible condition. And I don't want to be misquoted here as well, but the Shire is also very keen that you do that around your properties down here on the Mornington Peninsula. I think they've extended the burn-off that you're allowed to do in your backyard until the end of this month as well, October. That could well be the so, case. Yeah, they're, they're encouraging everybody just to get out there and make sure that uh, everything's nice and clean ahead but, of um, yeah. summer. But the thing to be aware of, Brandon, is that there'll then be um, fire bans and burning off won't be allowed. Um, and which, again, you know, people are used to that. That's That's been a change that's been in place. But, but in fact, that's been slowly creeping forward. People perhaps haven't noticed that. Um, the other thing to be aware of is that, um, again, touch wood, it doesn't happen, but there are a number of very high-risk townships further down on the peninsula, further down from, from sunny Mornington. Um, and, you know, traffic in and out is quite limited. And people living at home, especially older people, can sometimes fall into this idea that, you know, well, someone's going to come and save us, someone's going to come and rescue us. And the reality is that it's quite limited. I mean, we did see quite a bit of that going on in an informal way in the fires in New South Wales and Queensland. It is important if people are vulnerable and need assistance to get out of their home that they register with the police because then the police will have them on a list to check their address if there's a fire in the area. But the other thing people often aren't aware of is that um, service providers, so all service providers, council, aftercare, any other aged care provider, we often have to put restrictions on what supports we can provide during, say, for instance, total fire ban days or in particular code red days um, because we have uh, OCH health and safety obligations towards our staff. Your staff I'm sure and you so, do. And so, you know, we prioritise maintaining those essential services, so assistance to get people out of bed and, you know, get them dressed and make sure their hygiene is, is appropriate mm. and meals, etc. Mm. But things like cleaning, for instance, we would cancel that on a, on a, a high fire danger day, mm. um, particularly if there are fires in the area. Um, we just can't send our staff in, uh, in all good conscience, because, you know, we're not the CFA, we're not the emergency services, we're not connected to the, the network that they have to keep track of exactly where fires are moving and breaking out and what areas are safe and what areas aren't. So people do need to be aware of that and, and really have a have a good look at their own, you know, fire emergency plan, which is what they talk about these days. So if you're responsible for uh, an older family member, uh, just be mindful that uh, with the fire season coming on, you might have a few extra obligations this particular summer, maybe mm. move them into another residence, move them further up the peninsula or something like that, mm. where they can maybe get these services. Um, Warren, thank you very much indeed for dropping by. 
No worries. Always good to catch up with you on the Age stage. We'll see you in a few weeks. Looking forward to it, Brandon. This is our double PFM across the Mornington Peninsula this Thursday morning. Stick around. We've got a lot more coming up after this break. Uh. This is our double PFM across the Mornington Peninsula. Great to have your company this Thursday morning. You are tuned up to us here, your local radio station. The Age Stage is the program you're listening to on 98.7, 98.3. Kindly made possible by our very good friends at Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Now, if you are a regular listener to the program, you will remember that a couple of weeks ago we spoke to Frank Spencer, who had just uh, produced and published his second book, The Silk Road Wars, a fascinating account of the clash between two incredible cultures. It was Britain, of course, its aspirations across Asia, and China defending its rights and its people. We're going to welcome a new guest to the studio today. Peter Antonenko has just uh, published his book, Nobody's Soldier. It is an extraordinary read about his dad. His dad found himself as a very young boy uh, between two huge civilizations, a massive Soviet Union, which was going through an incredible collectivization program, which meant that basically anybody that didn't subscribe to the communist ideal as espoused by Mr. Joseph Stalin was in serious trouble. And also there was a secondary revolution going on at that time as well in Russia, which was namely the collectivization of the agricultural process as well. The hardship and the extraordinary travail and the loss and the emotion of this period is charted in this extraordinary book called Nobody's Soldier. It charts and chronicles the life of Peter Antonenko's dad, who lived at this time as a young boy. The good news is, and the happy end of this story, is that he eventually found his way out here to Australia. More of that in just a moment, but first of all, may I welcome Peter Antonenko to the age stage. Peter, good morning. Thank you, good morning. Come in a little bit closer, Peter, and just sure. get a little bit uh, more intimate with us. Um, an extraordinary story about an extraordinary human being at an extraordinary time in world affairs. Absolutely. It's just um, amazing, the, the, the idea of listening to him uh, talking about what occurred um, and his uh, compassion for people, the, the things that he saw and achieved and, and went through, it was just a, a journey of survival. Amazing. So let's go back to the beginning then, first of all. You came to this book uh, as part of a very busy life. I mean, you're a psychologist, you hold a commercial pilot's license, you are a farmer. You have this Ukrainian origin, of course, from where your dad came from. How did the book come about in the first place? Effectively, it was from um, a number of fishing trips that we went on, and he was effectively a captive audience, if you like, in the car. So he described some of the things that occurred, and I thought this really needed to, to be taken down. It needed to be recorded. And he had a very strong accent, so it was, it was hard to get to, to understand him uh, uh, in a lot of ways. So we got my mother to um, uh, record it on the audio tape. And the audio tape was then transcribed onto, uh, uh, into the written word and then edited. And the family history was finished in, or that particular version was finished in 2001. 
Uh, and then at the start of this year, I made a promise to him uh, that after he'd uh, passed away, uh, that I would uh, publish it commercially in remembrance of the people who'd suffered from uh, Stalin regime. It's ex an ex extraordinary story, and it's a great tribute to all those people as, as well. So you decided to, what, you re-edited the text that you'd captured there 10 years earlier? In a sense, we, we, it needed to be edited. Um, we'd recorded uh, a lot of, of stuff that needed to be edited properly, so we did that. I, I uh, enlisted Sid Harter Publishing um, and uh, Kerry Collison and his team, and uh, that was at the start of, start of this year. So it's, it's really been a, a quite a rapid journey. So I'm interested in talking to you as well from the perspective of the age stage. We'll get back to this extraordinary story, Nobody's Soldier, in just a moment, but more a little bit about you, if I may, Peter. So as I said, psychologist, commercial pilot, farmer. I mean, here you are in your retirement years basically redefining what it is we should be doing or traditionally expected to do in our retirement, if there is such a thing for you. I don't think retirement's ever been on the radar with me. I've, I've always strived to accomplish uh, goals and, and have things to look forward to, and, and uh, this is you know, certainly ticking one of the boxes. But uh, um, And also uh, having uh, the opportunity to learn, the opportunity, given the opportunity to learn from, as I say, from my parents is... Um, has been an absolute godsend. So it's just kept me, it keeps you alive. So let's go back then in time um, to the start of your father's story. When was he born? He was born in 1922. Not sure, quite sure of the date. He actually put down the 5th of September. It could have been around that time, but records aren't available. So in the village of uh, on Black Sea and uh, they were actually Kulaks, so they were landowners. They had something like about 27 acres and um, so their lives were controlled by the vagarities of the weather and, and, and that uh, situation. And they looked after one another, looked after the people in the village that weren't as fortunate. So it was a real community. And uh, all that was torn apart when the Russians decided, or the Soviets decided to uh, commence their collectivisation, particularly targeted towards Kulaks. So they were actually on the Black Sea, uh, and they had a fishing boat as well, so they fishers, fishermen and farmers. So this was a, you know, a very bountiful part of the world as well. I mean, beautiful, rich soils across this part of um, what Asia Minor, Europe, um, Ukraine, of course. Um, and unfortunately, your father's birth coincides with the consolidation of power by the Bolsheviks in about the 1920s. Lenin is gone, Stalin is beginning to assert himself, and with it, of course, comes his great notion of industrialization and the proletariat way, and everything, but everything is going to go as he delivers this vision. And that means millions of people as well, the Kulaks in particular, suffered absolutely horrendously at the hands of the Bolsheviks and the, and the Communists. That's right. The, um, they, they actually set up a, a situation where um, the forced famine of the 1930s, 1933 in particular, um, was lost some seven million people where uh, wheat was left to rot on the on the wharves or was sent overseas and that was just to to control the population and uh, as you say the the beautiful soil I mean there are rumors and oh, not rumors but there are um, stories that the the soil was actually trucked out of the Ukraine the beautiful black soil was trucked out of the Ukraine to uh, to be taken elsewhere at times so there's certainly a lot of um, a lot of things happening at that time and, and being kicked off your family farm that uh, you've had for centuries and being sent to the Arctic wastes uh, 
as part of his journey. Which is what happened, of course, because the family is completely torn out of this lifestyle, which, as he said, had been very communal, very caring, and sort of collectivised at a local scale, but just did not sit well with uh, what the Bolsheviks wanted or what the communists wanted. So essentially they're sent to the Arctic Circle. The entire uh, sort of ethnic system down there around the Euro Ukraine is just torn to pieces. And, and your dad's a witness to all this as a, as a young kid. Yeah, he certainly gives the story at a grassroots level. There's, there's a movie coming out next year, which is um, Mr. Jones, which is, uh, details more of that, um, that what, what went on with the Soviet Union. And um, that's more at a higher level where you're looking at the politicians and the, and the, the stuff that went on there with um, uh, trying to report that outside the Ukraine. Um, but uh, my father's story is basically the grassroots level of where he was at and uh, and, victim, uh, and uh, viewing all of the, the stuff that occurred. At it's just time. amazing because you chronicle this extraordinary story. I mean, he sees his dad beaten up, your grandfather smashed by the NKVD, the Politburo secret police. They come down and they decimate villages. I mean, for this little boy to see all that, and then basically he starts walking around the Soviet Union, and he's got this extraordinary recollection of working in factories, um, jumping out of trying to get adopted, finding foster parents for a couple of a uh, couple of years or months, but just having this this wanderlust, this need just to stay safe and stay out of the clutches of this extraordinary and very evil regime, and also trying to make his way back to some parts of his family that were scattered all over the place. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing story. I just uh, when I finally started getting it all together, it was uh, it pieced together very well. Wow. And what a fantastic legacy that uh, you and your dad are creating, not only for your family, but for these amazing people from the Ukraine. Um, we're speaking to Peter Antonenko here uh, as part of the Age Stage today. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we'll be speaking more with Peter. The Age Stage, each and every Thursday, right here on RWPFM. Proudly sponsored by our friends at Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. Hi, this is Megan Gale, and when I'm on the peninsula, I love listening to RPFM. RPFM, yes, indeed it is, 98.7 and 98.3. Thank you for being there. Thursday morning here, coming to you from our Bendigo Bank Studios right here in Wilson's Road. Age Stage, a program which looks at matters and issues concerning older Australians, made possible by our friends at Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Speaking this morning with our second guest, Today, Peter Antonenko, who has just published an extraordinary book about the life of his dad at a time of great upheaval in the Soviet Union, Ukraine in particular, Nobody's Soldier. Why the title Nobody's Soldier, Peter? Basically, he was in everybody's army except uh, pretty much the Japanese army. So he was conscripted into the Russian army. He'd just uh, been released from jail at that time, it's the World War. Um, and he'd, been, uh, he'd been jailed for vagrancy. He'd he? been jailed for vagrancy. He'd been jailed a number of times. He was jailed, I think, around the age of eight or nine for travelling on a train without a ticket. Eight or nine yes. for travelling on a train without a ticket. He was jailed in, a, in an adult prison. That's right. Go on. Um, so he was released uh, from prison, for, I think it was for insulting, I, I'd have to check again, but insulting a, uh, a Soviet... Um, official or a party member. So he was put in jail for some time, only to be released at the start of the Second World War, where he was subsequently uh, indoctrinated, if you like, or conscripted into the Soviet army. Uh, he was in battle and uh, wounded, uh, got quite a bad infection from that wound, recuperated, 
was coerced into the German army um, at that time where the German army was uh, taking over that region. Uh, managed to escape from, um, uh, from the German army, but during that time he was, um, he was detailed to guard an ammunition dump and, uh, or ammunition depot. And uh, his only one shot in anger was at a noise that he heard during the night, so that was um, his contribu contribution to the war. Uh, he escaped from the German army and joined the Italian partisans. Uh, and uh, in around the east coast of uh, Italy, a place called Senegalia, and um, he'd been picked up a number of number of times by the Allies um, and put into a holding camp to be sent back to the Soviet Union as part of the Yalta Agreement, which was uh, the agreement between Roosevelt, Stalin, and Churchill. Because we're up to 1945 by now. That's right. Um, and um, he managed to escape once from the holding camp, and uh, that was then re recaptured and escaped the second time during a, a picture, a movie night, and uh, crawled for quite some considerable distance uh, through stubble and uh, uh, to get away from that uh, camp and um, ended up uh, looking uh, very, very much like a vagrant uh, and met uh, members of the Polish division of the British Army, which he subsequently joined. Um, in a place called, as I say, Senegalia, um, and he was around that region that um, he was uh, finally uh, able to relax to some extent with uh, uh, being a part of the British Army, as uh, under a false name, as I say. And um, he'd, he'd been couched by or coached by a friend of his, a uh, colleague of his, uh, on uh, passing himself off as a Polish citizen rather than Ukrainian. Incredible story, absolutely amazing story. And of course, eventually he finds his way to Australia. How did that happen? Well, actually, um, prior to prior to getting to Australia, he was actually, when he was in the um, Polish Division of the British Army, contracted TB. He'd been living uh, at that stage um, with a lady and her two children. Uh, she was a widow, lost her husband in the Eastern Front. So he'd been settled in Senegalia as part of the British Army. Uh, contracted tuberculosis, uh, was shipped out of there because it was an infectious disease, and shipped across to England where he met uh, met my mother in an uh, army camp. She was defusing uh, bombs for the British Army. So, um, and then they basically worked towards re-establishing his identity. So. And she was English? She's English, yes. She was with the British Army. Wow. Not for very long. It's an extraordinary story. It says a lot about the um, the physical, the physiological capacity of your dad as well. I mean, the trauma of this, the separation, um, the separation from the, the, the parents when this kid's just wandering around the Soviet Union as a seven or eight-year-old, the trauma, the confrontation. How did he survive physiologically as well? I mean, his physical body able to withstand, as he said, he was wounded in the Second World War, survived with gangrenous wounds almost, um, survives TB. How? It's hard to explain, just tenacity and, um, and the willpower to live. Um, this is his journey of survival. Um, there's a lot in the book that uh, I guess if you read between the lines, there's a lot there that says a lot about his uh, determination to survive. And being separated from his family, he didn't find out until some 50 years later what happened to his family. So that was the only reason. The, 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 um, he found out what happened to his family from a, a friend who he met, uh, who was from the same village, the same area, and they put him in contact with various people so he could find out what happened. And what did happen? 
Well, my grandfather died in 1954, which is the year I was born, um, and various other members of the family were scattered around the Ukraine and had, actually had been um, politically uh, manipulated towards the Soviet um, re-education. Re yes. So you basically had to then advocate this sort of the Soviet policy. Pretty much, yeah. They were they were um, schooled under a Soviet system. They were educated and uh, working under a Soviet system. So, uh, were they? Do they? Do they to this day consider themselves Ukrainians or are they Soviets or what are they? I think a lot of them consider themselves Soviets. Uh, a lot of uh, I talk to a number of people that have been uh, born in, uh, in Ukraine and they actually call themselves Russians. So there's always that. Um, uh, distinction. Well, this this issue, of course, continues to this day, and I mean, it's the subject of a number of discussions as we speak and go to air this week in Washington and uh, Moscow, of course, Ukraine and, and Britain and Europe. I mean, this issue is not going away, and uh, there's still people dying on the border between those two countries. The, the, the position of Ukraine in modern politics is, 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 is absorbing and tragic as well. Russia's always tried to... Um to take over the Ukraine. I mean, that region, the Odessa region, uh, I believe the reason is because it's one of the only warm water ports that they can access. Um, but that region, the Black Sea there, has always been under conflict, um, right from the word go. From the, the, over the tides of history. Yeah, over the tides, is it? The tides of history. Um, this is an amazing book, as we said at the outset, uh, Peter, that chronicles an extraordinary life in an extraordinary time. Um, what obligation do you feel to be able to put all this stuff down in black and white? I made a promise that I'd get the story out, I'd, I'd publish it commercially, I, I'm, as a dedication to the people that lost their lives during the Stalin regime. And also it gives me the opportunity to keep his name alive. The, the proceeds from the book will be going towards a, uh, a scholarship or a bursary for uh, young people in aviation. Wow. What a man. What an extraordinary human being. Emotionally, um, you must have, this must have a great impact on you as well as intellectually. Well, I, I suppose in a lot of ways he was a huge influence in my life, uh, but also a very quiet and, and, and gentle, shy man. And... Uh, to be able to do what he did shows extraordinary resilience. Where did it come from? I've got no idea. No idea where it came from. Is it, it's a, family, just, is it a family I think trend? It's, I think it's a family trend. We, there is a, a tendency to um, accomplish things, uh, to strive, to continue forward. Amazing. How do we get hold of a copy of Nobody's Soldier, Peter? Where do we go? Where we can go to the website, which is www.nobodysoldier.com. Uh, the, the book is also available through readings, Dimmocks, um, Booktopia, Goodreads, Amazon. Um, and uh, I believe it's also out of Barnes & Noble um, and quite a few other all good bookstores. Fantastic. Peter Antonenko, thank you very much indeed. He is the author of Nobody's Soldier, this extraordinary story of his dad, as we said, at an extraordinary time in history. He is an extraordinary human being. I thoroughly recommend the book. It is an extraordinary read, and if you are doing a little bit of Christmas shopping, perhaps, I would suggest that if you are in a couple of good bookshops, you do look out for Nobody's Soldier. Peter Antonenko, an extraordinary story 
about eventually an extraordinary Australian and a family and a legacy um, that you, I'm sure, are very proud of because you yourself have shown um, how the migration policy in this country works pretty well as well. Here you are able to realise your dreams and pass um, that on to the next generations as well. I hope so. Peter, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the Age Stage today. Thank you very much. This is the Age Stage. Thank you very much indeed for your company this week. I'd like to thank Warren Haynes, who joined us, of course, earlier on in the program from Aftercare Australasia. Warren taking a little bit of a break over the next couple of weeks, so we won't be catching up for him for a little while. But also a reminder as well that our friends at Australian Unity have a big open day coming up at their wonderful Morven Manor this weekend, October and 11th and 12th. If you'd like to get along and uh, just go and have a look at this fantastic facility right here in Mornington, do let, uh, let them know that you're coming down and then do go down and have a look. Morven Manor, part of the Australian Unity Complex down here on the Mornington Peninsula, is available for inspection, is having its open day. Thank you very much indeed for your company today. I'm Brendan Telfer. We will return at the same time next week when we present another edition of The Age Stage. Until then, stay well, stay safe.